You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. Hi, Dorothy. How are you this evening? I am feeling very blessed today. How are you feeling? I'm good. Uh, I am tired, uh, as I was telling you a little bit uh, just a moment ago. But uh, I am, uh, Lord's teaching me principles, teaching, always teaching me more principles of, uh, of his kingdom and stewardship. And one of them is stewardshipping my time more deliberately, which will bring me more refreshing. So um, you can keep me in prayer if you think about that. And any of you guys that uh, feel led to, you can keep me in prayer too for um, moving in greater wisdom with the Lord uh, in all my things. So. So that's where I'm at. But I'm doing really well. I'm excited about uh, tonight's message, tonight's broadcast. Uh, it's on obedience and how obedience releases the power and the dunamis of the kingdom, uh, the dunamis power of the kingdom. So a couple things before we get into this. Um, for those of you that, that tune in just right this moment, one of the things that for us to understand what is the purpose of um, of our relationship. Why did the Lord die for us? He died for intimacy. He died for great union of fellowship. When Jesus was leaving, he said in Luke twenty four forty nine, I'm going to send to you my father, day into the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So that's number one that he promised us. He promised to give us the New Testament church, the New Testament child of God power. The second John 14, 27, Jesus, again, getting ready to leave. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. The Lord, the scriptures say that when the Lord gives, he never rescinds that gift. Okay, the gifts of the Lord are without remittance, without return, without um, being taken back. So this tells us two things. We are supposed to have tremendous power from the Holy Spirit, and we are supposed to have tremendous peace, the peace not of the world, the peace that the Father gives. Two areas in which the church in this generation are being robbed from is one in moving in the dunamis power, dynamite, magnified, expressed power of the kingdom is number one. And number two is peace. Some of us move in a degree of peace, but don't move in a lot of power. Some of us have a degree of power of the authority of the kingdom, don't have a lot of peace. Uh, these are two cornerstone aspects of our relationship that Jesus was letting his disciples know just before he was getting ready to go to the cross and institute the, the coming of the Holy Spirit by paying for our sins. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, the power of the kingdom. A lot of people don't understand uh, what even that means. Uh, what the scriptures talk about, the New Testament discusses, there are fruits and there are gifts. There are power gifts. There are revelation gifts. There are insight gifts. There are things of the kingdom we're meant to move. Imagine if we peel back the, the spirit realm and we can just openly see angels, 
openly see um, and interact with God's kingdom, with, with heavenly hosts, with Jesus himself, with the Father, if we could see what was specifically bothering people, hurting them, what they were in bondage to, and we could deliver them from that. Uh, these are degrees of the kingdom we're meant to walk in, all of us. There's no special calling for someone to be able to walk in these things. God gives each of us different gifts. We're meant to come together, teach one another these gifts as the Holy Spirit teaches us, and the elders of the body of Christ are meant to guide us and steer us and raise us up into the ways of the Lord so that we become elders and do the same thing for the next generation. So I always say that always goes back to that. Uh, and we're going to be talking about one of the keys in which we can move in greater kingdom power and peace are going to be uh, the doorway of obedience. There are different principles in the, in the Bible, different ways in which we engage the kingdom. And we're going to break down some myths, some wrongful doctrines, and really just peel back away to the simplicity of our blood covenant that we've entered into with the Lord. Obedience is a key in which it releases the manifest presence of the kingdom to flow through us, in us, over us, and around us. Before we can talk about obedience, we have to look at it in context of the New Testament. 1 Timothy 3 16 says that the scriptures, all scripture, meaning from Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is meant to teach, correct, rebuke, rebuke and train in righteousness. Timothy actually, Paul says to Timothy that all scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. That is key. Because all Old Testament scriptures are to be seen in light of the New Testament. All theology. I mean, theology is understanding. It's having a, a basis of belief. So you want to understand a simple term of theology. It's to have a belief about something. What is our belief about the Lord based upon the scriptures? All of our theology that we begin to gather by reading the, the Old Testament must come, be in light of the New Testament, number one. And number two, it all must point to the reality that we are the righteousness of Christ. If we would just do that, we would eliminate 99.99% of the confusion and, and the, the false doctrines and the confused doctrines and the wrongful doctrines that are out there right now. Is if we, Whenever we read the Old Testament, if one by one, we'd say, how does this fit into the progressive revelation that we receive as the Bible has been written? Now that we have the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, principles that what we're reading in the Old Testament teach us about correction and training in righteousness. Guys, if we're spending more time reading about the prophecies, the, the prophetic books, and less time about the rest of the Old Testament books, we're out of balance. Because the prophetic writings were written to a covenant. They were written to a group of people that were under a certain covenant. And if we don't understand how God was moving through that covenant, we cannot understand the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Joel, uh, Isaiah, uh, none of it. It's not going to make sense because we don't understand the audience of God is who he's speaking to. And we don't understand what the purpose was of that covenant to Jews that he was speaking, on uh, speaking toward about what he wanted to do. So that's very important. Um, I spend a lot of time reading the stories 
I mean, I study a lot. I read a lot. In, uh, I read the Old Testament. I read the Old Testament a lot. But when I read it, I have on it the lens of understanding I am the righteousness of Christ. And when we do that, we can begin to see the principles of God's kingdom because God's nature never changes. So when we're seeing that his nature never changes and we begin to see a conflict between the Old Testament and the New, the New Testament trumps the Old Testament and is submitted to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a thought that I want to give you guys. And the reason why I'm spending time on this is because as we talk about obedience and we go into some of the Old Testament scriptures, because the Old Testament does a couple of things. One, it teaches us principles, and then it shows us principles through, through daily interactions, through historical events. It teaches us principles, right? There are these scriptures that we make a statement about, and then we see that scriptural principle, that biblical kingdom principle manifested in an action, in a story in the Old Testament. So when we talk about, here's something, before we get into that, guys, here's something I want you guys to think about. Have you ever wondered, have you ever thought about how the Holy Spirit who lives in us now in the New Covenant, God cannot cohabitat, cohabitate with sin. The reason why the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, was able to live inside of us, is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood made us holy. That's why the Holy Spirit can enter into us, our spirit man, because we have been declared before the courts of heaven that we have been made into the same image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the definition of righteousness. The wrath of sin was poured out on Jesus. Colossians 1, 19 through 22. He paid for our sin. Now we say that. We need to understand that. If we're talking about how we're unworthy, and yet we claim to have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have a major disconnect in understanding the present day covenant. Major disconnect. We cannot discuss or say or admit the Holy Spirit is inside of us and be looking at the sin that we make, the sin that we do, the mistakes that we make, because we have been declared righteous because of the accomplished work that Jesus did, not based upon our ability to walk in uh, holiness or an attempted perfection. That's our relationship being worked out with fear and trembling. That's our issues coming to the surface when the Lord begins dealing with our belief systems the motives behind what we do things. But the more we begin to understand that we have been made righteousness, we have been made righteous, and it's his righteousness that allows the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, we will stop wanting to turn to other covenants in history to try to understand the nature of God. We will see it in terms of the big picture, which is intimacy. Okay, so what is obedience? Um, Strong 8085 uh, talks about obedience in the New Testament. It means to follow the commands or guidance of, to conform to or comply with. So how does obedience release the kingdom in our lives? There are a couple of, talk, a couple of things we're talking about. What is obedience? Um, how does obedience get released into our lives, and, and how do we apply it? How do we practice it? We'll look at 2 Chronicles 16.7. Now, again, this is, this is a story. These are the story of the kings. 
you have Samuel, uh, Kings, and Chronicles all give accounts and overlapping accounts of the story of the kings from the time the judges ended to the time when you had the first king, Saul, the second king, the best king in the kingdom, David, onto his next son, Solomon, and the slow downward degradation of the nation until their captivity, which was to break them from the constant desire to follow demon worship. Asa was a godly man, uh, but at some point in King Asa's life, he began getting his eyes off the Lord, and there's a period in his life when he was fighting against uh, Basha, the king of Israel, and he turns to a foreign king. He turns to a uh, king of Syria, uh, Benadad, and he says, hey, Benadad, you make a covenant with me and help me fight against my northern kingdom, the northern, my northern brother, uh, King Basha, and uh, you know, we'll, ha- we'll enter into covenant. So what Asa did was not done in faith. It was not done in belief that the Lord will protect him. It was done politically. It was done with darkened thinking. And he got rebuked for it. In 2 Chronicles 16, 7, you have uh, the prophet Hanani coming to King Asa and saying, hey, Asa, this is wrong what you've done. And we'll, so we'll start on verse 7. It says, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Israel, excuse me, the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and Lubim not a huge army with, every, with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you, because you relied upon the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You have done a foolish thing. Now the word heart, where it says here, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout Rome, throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Two words I want to focus on heart and committed. The Hebrew word heart is a word that we've discussed before. It means the soul. The soul is our mind, will, and emotions. The Lord is searching the soul of man. He is searching the mind, will, and emotions of man to see whose mind, will, and emotions are committed to him. The word committed is really not a a great translation from the Hebrew to the English. The word Committed is shalem. It means complete or whole. So think about that. The Lord is searching the souls of man, the will, the intention, the mind, the desire of man to see whose soul is whole or complete or set apart for the Lord. James talks about how a double-minded man or a two-souled man, a divided soul, should not expect to see any results from God. We see the same principle here under the Old Covenant. Remember, the Old Covenant will always bear witness to the righteousness of Christ and the New Covenant. This is a principle of the kingdom. The Lord will partner with a soul that is set apart or whole, meaning set to the kingdom of the Lord, set to the heart of the Father. Here's the question, guys, to ask. This is key, what I'm about to say right now. Your father will always honor obedience. Here's what's important. It's not because you earned it. That's the trap. That's the half-truth. That is the dead works theology that tries to creep up into our carnal minds. 
You cannot earn his affection. You cannot earn his love. You cannot earn his tenderness, his faithfulness, his loyalty. These are principles that operate in the kingdom. It's how his kingdom operates. He loves you. The scriptures say he loves you fully, deeply. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21, Colossians 1.21, uh, Colossians 3.9, uh, Ephesians 1.6. Trying to shoot out a bunch of them. You guys can look them up on your own. Hebrews 10, 10. We've been sanctified. We're blatantly. We're holy. We're deeply loved. We're the apple of his eye. We're the center of his affection. We're his beloved. You cannot earn that. It's been given freely. He always loved his creation. And through the atonement of Jesus, we get to enjoy drawing near to the throne of grace because our sins have been washed from us. So then why does his heart search for those that are set apart for him? Because that's intimacy, desiring intimacy. Here's a story of Gideon. Let's go back 200 years prior to this. We go back to the, uh, the middle of the Judges, toward the end of the Judges. You have Gideon in Judges 624. Let's go there. Judges 624, you have a man who the Lord asked basically will you step out will you allow your soul your mind will and emotions to cleave to me to be whole unto me to be set apart for me i'm desiring intimacy with you gideon will you answer the call because i can partner with that which partners with me he cannot partner with sin he loves us fully but any, you know, the Bible says we have died to the carnal mind of man. We've been given the mind of Christ that lives in our spirit. If we're continuing to relate to him according to the lies of this world, according to our wounds and our fears and our pains, according to inaccurate descriptions of our Heavenly Father, he cannot partner with that. We have to come into alignment with his thinking to hear his truth on a matter. We have to come into alignment with the fact that he's a good, loving father for us to receive and understand and perceive his goodness. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Let's go to 624. Uh, this is one of the most tender to me stories um, in the Old Testament. There are, I, I have many favorites in the Old Testament. I, I love the principles and the interactions with the Lord, as I see the Lord as a perfect, loving, heavenly Father that was just waiting for Jesus to come to enable the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and, and enable deep intimacy. And I see the ways he reached out and interacted before that time came, before the cross came. Uh, and we see it through that lens. The Old Testament stories are some of the most beautiful, gut-wrenching stories of the love and the patience of our Heavenly Father. And Gideon 6.24, I'm going to read it. Uh, 24, the Lord goes down and speaks to Gideon. He interacts with him. He shows him some of his glory. And he's basically saying, I want you to begin tearing down Baal. I want to remove the sin that's in the nation of Israel so that I can partner with you to deliver you from what you've put yourself under bondage to. Okay? It's not a wrathful God. Guys, it wasn't the wrath of God that the Israelites needed to turn from. They needed to turn from the destruction of demon worship. Their souls were engaging in illegal spiritual activities. Their souls were becoming polluted. They were exalting someone other than the Lord in their hearts and in their actions. It was self-destructive. 
And it violates the nature of God. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Anything that violates his nature is offensive to his heart. He loves us. He never gets angry with us, but he hates to sin because sin is anything that is outside his nature, which which is his love and goodness. So the Lord begins to speak to Gideon and say, it's time. We, we need to get this generation. And he did it in every generation, the story of the judges. This generation needs to be set free. You're going to begin doing it, Gideon. Here's what I want you to do. Now, it came to pass that same night the Lord spoke to him, meaning Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven rare, the, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in a proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you have cut down. So the Lord is giving him instructions to begin starting cleansing his own father's house. He's to cut down the Asherah pole that was there and tear down the altars of Baal. Baal worship, you know, one of the main staples of Baal worship was sacrificing children. It is one of the most grievous, Molech and Baal are one of the most grievous uh, demons that the Israelites worshipped because it was at the height of the goodness and the love of God was destroying life. The Lord tells them, you're going to cut this down. You're going to start cleaning house in your own father's house. You're going to tear down the altar of Baal. You're going to tear down the Asherah pole. So Gideon took men from among his servants, took ten men from among his servants, and did as the Lord had said to him. Here's the key, guys. Okay, verse 27, 627 in Judges. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. That is key. Gideon was too afraid to obey the Lord during the day. Now, the Lord didn't say, Gideon, do it during the day. The Lord just told them to do it. Gideon dis- did not disobey it by doing it at night. He did it at night because he was too afraid to step out during the day. And what I love about this story was that <clears throat> the Lord honored it. The Lord knew how afraid Gideon was. I want you to picture a man who gets a word from the Lord, has seen the glory of the Lord, was afraid he might be, that might be killed because he, the, the spirit realm, the kingdom of heaven manifested in Gideon's presence. Gideon recognized, I'm not holy. I'm, I, I, I'm going to die. The Lord says, you're not going to die. He extends grace to him, gives him instructions. And in the midst of this incredible spiritual interaction, right, every interaction with the kingdom, guys, is meant to transform us into the next realm of glory. It's meant to take us into the next level of intimacy with him. And Gideon stepped out in faith in response to the initiation of that encounter, but he was too scared to do it. He was afraid of the men, and he had good reason. If you go on, it says the men inquired in the morning, they saw that it was cut down, and they wanted to kill him. And his father said, no, let these gods speak for themselves. See, that's divine favor, guys. Elsewhere, we see where people were killed because of decisions they make. Whenever we step out in faith, wherever we obey the Lord, he will always honor it. Always. And I just think it's one of the 
such a tender, sweet picture. You have this man that wants to obey the Lord, does. He says, how can I do this in a way that I can obey the Lord and still be safe, still guard me from my fears? I'll do it at night when no one's around. The Lord always will honor obedience. Amos 3.3 says that our Heavenly Father really cannot do much partnering with us if their relationship is not in agreement. No relationship can thrive where there's not agreement. Amos 3.3 tells us, gives us a principle of that. Again, these are principles, right? How can two walk the same path unless they're agreed upon it? In the same way, we cannot walk. The degree of our intimacy with the Lord is going to be severely hindered and limited to the areas where we do not walk in obedience to his mind, his thoughts, his intentions, and his word, what his word says about you, about himself, about others. All goes back to our belief system. Everything comes back to our belief system. It is the root in which we engage any single aspect in the kingdom. You pick any topic that's being discussed in the body of Christ, the root for proper grounding and proper understanding of whatever it is that aspect of the kingdom is comes back to how we think, what we feel, what we perceive, what we believe is truth. And if that's an alignment, it's in, if it is in obedience to his word, our father's word of what he says about himself and us, and then ultimately those around us. Here's an example. Let's say uh, you have two people, two friends, a spouse, uh, let's say friends, whatever. And you pack a lunch. We're going to say, you know what, let's go on a hike today. Let's go, you know, a couple miles away. We'll hop in the car. Let's get um, some water, throw it in our backpacks, bring some trail mix. And we're going to go spend some time together. We're going to walk and talk about the issues of life together. Right. And so we get into a car and we go out to the, to the trail, we park the car, we get out, we have our backpack set for the day so that we have food, we have refreshment, and we're just going to walk under, under the trails and just discuss things. So we go in, and in 20 feet, there's a fork in the road. There's trailblazers that say you can go to the right, and trailblazers that lead to a pa- pa- uh, trail to the left. Now, if one of, one of those people said, okay, you know what, you go to the right, you know, that's going to be exciting. I got a feeling you're going to like that path over there. You go to the right, and I like the way this one looks over here. You go to the left, and, and we walk our separate ways. What kind of things are we going to discuss? What level of intimacy will we have on that walking out that path? Well, we're going to have very little. Maybe we can call each other on the phone. Maybe in this day and age, right, we can text. As we use the technology of the times, part of this analogy, we could text. We could have a phone call. Maybe we could FaceTime. Is that the same as walking side by side. No. No, the intimacy, the interaction, the level, the expression of our, the type of relationship we have will be shown by the level of intimacy that occurs with us walking along the same path. Obedience, guys, is a verb. It demonstrates trust. If we ask anyone, what is the cornerstone of a relationship, any relationship that we want to be healthy? But the answer is always going to come back, trust. That's why 
infidelity in the marriage bed is one of the most grievous sins against the marriage bed because the highest violation of trust, it's trust that you need to have any relationship grow, thrive, and have the deepest forms of expression. This is why the Lord is calling us and calls to our hearts to have us look at and examine things that he wants us to be obedient toward. So let's end it up with this. How do we practice this? What does it mean? It always starts, guys, we're talking about what is obedience? How does it release the kingdom into our lives? Well, because the kingdom partners and is released in the areas that we agree with it. Wherever we come into alignment with him, we're coming to alignment to his kingdom. It releases the power and authority for him to move on our behalf. It releases the Holy Spirit to flow out through and around us in any situation. Because we're walking in truth. We're walking in the light. We're living by the light. How we practice it, it always starts with our thinking. Always. Obedience always starts not with our actions. It starts with our belief system. Because in the end, actions will come back to emotions. Emotions will be traced back to uh, decisions. Decisions will get traced back to beliefs. And beliefs always get traced back to our identity system. What we hold is truth. Belief system leads to thoughts. Thoughts lead to emotions. Emotions lead to decisions. Decisions lead to actions. Everything gets traced back to what we believe. That's why focusing on our actions, guys, is dead works. What we do, the verb of putting our belief, our faith, our obedience, our trust into what we put our hands into is a byproduct of our foundation, of our belief system. We can never blindly perform actions thinking that justifies what we believe. The Lord is not interested in our works. He's interested in our belief system that will, out of that life, out of the power of the kingdom flowing through our spirit, our thoughts, our beliefs, our soul, from there flows actions that emanate from his heart. So it always starts with our thinking. You have to understand, guys, that obedience is a sacrifice. There is a sacrifice to obey. It starts by saying yes to God when he speaks to you. It's always a decision. We have to decide he is worthy of the sacrifice of obedience. And the reason why I'm going to go back to God is, number one, what starts in our thinking is because as we begin to draw upon the word, here's how we practice it. As we read the word, as we come face to face, we have to invite him in. Here's how we do this, guys. Lord, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to show me areas in where my thinking has contradicted your nature. Show me who you truly are. Reveal to me who my heavenly Father is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Show me any areas in which I have held on to other beliefs or doctrines that have been comforting to me and have kept me in fear, guarding me from my fear that are not based upon your truth. Give him permission, guys. It's a relationship. Go walk down that path together. 
Go look for that trailblazer where the Lord is waiting for you and walk with him. It starts in our thinking. We talk about obedience. We're always, the tendency, guys, to the degree that we don't understand intimacy, that we don't understand the, the intimacy of the relationship we're meant to have, we'll turn to works and want to say, okay, obedience, you know, okay, I need to obey, so I need to do. I need to observe the Sabbath. I need to observe my prayer time or observe or follow actions. Guys, that's dead works. That's not going to do it. It starts with our belief system, and that's the most difficult part, which is why so people want to talk about it and even less people want to hear about it. Because you can escape your fears and hide from your fears by doing things. We can run from our own fears. And a lot of the church is running. But if we're willing to say he is worthy of the sacrifice of our obedience, and we begin to ask, what does it mean when Colossians 1.21 says, I have been made the righteousness of Christ? What does it mean when it says that I have been accepted in the the beloved? What does it mean in Ephesians 1.4, which says, I have been made holy and without blame in love before you? What does that mean? When, when 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord by the Spirit of our God, what does that mean? Guys, this takes courage. This takes some grit. The Lord is looking to... He is calling, he is wooing this generation to return back to him and to let go of the dead works of the religious system that are designed and perpetuated. And the reason why we love them so much is because they allow us to hide from our fears and our pains and our woundings. And he's looking to set us free. That's the first area where obedience starts. It always starts in our belief system to decide Does he deserve for us to come face-to-face with our fears? Is he worthy of the sacrifice of me standing before that altar and working out my salvation with him by looking at the ways that I was wounded and declaring I am not what those people or those woundings told me I was, those lies that moved through people that Satan spoke about my identity and worth. I am no longer willing to choose to accept that's who I am. Guys, that takes courage. That is not easy, but we have the spirit of the living God inside of us that as we approach those things, he will bathe us in his love. He will honor that obedience. He will cover you under the shadow of his wings. You will feel the washing of the water of the word and of his presence pouring over to you, pouring within you. Sometimes that will take many times. That will take time. It will take you know, repeated application, but he will heal your wounds. He will bind up the broken heart. He will set the captives free. So that's how we begin starting that. Guys, one thing I want to tell you, emotions don't enter into the equation uh, when we talk about how God partners with us. When he partners with obedience, what, what Satan has allowed us to get into, again, that false trap of works, is we, haven't, we have not identified the carnal mind from the fact that we've been given the mind of Christ. Romans 8, 7 says the carnal mind is hostile toward God. It cannot sub- be subject to the law of God, neither can it be. 
the, we died to the carnal-minded man. Colossians 3, 9, or Romans 6, read the whole chapter, Romans 6. It says that our old self was crucified with Christ. Why? Because we've been made spiritually alive. We are spirit beings, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. We've been given the ability, our spirit man interacting with heaven 24-7 to walk by his mind. So when we feel fear, when we press into something, when we begin to attempt to come before the Lord's heart and offer the sacrifice obedience by slaying, by putting up on the altar before him the lies that we have lived, there's going to be fear that kicks up because that carnal-minded man, that dead man that has, we have identified ourselves, our identity with, is going to be afraid. You're going to hear the what-ifs clanging all around inside of your heart. Recognize that's foreign to you. That is a dead man. That is not who you are. God will honor your heart being committed, being whole, your heart being set apart for him. He will honor that. And if you feel fear, you recognize that's not who you are. Your emotions are subject to you. And as you practice spending time with him and washing yourself in the word and agreeing with his word, it will renew your soul. You will be transformed into his image in your soul. We're already transformed in our spirit, man. That's who we are. So the reason why I'm saying that is because you will experience fear and dread. You don't have to run from it. You're safe. God will honor it. That fear are the lies telling you to go back to Egypt. Do not go back there. The same way the Lord told Jeremiah, he told the, the, the captives who after Babylon conquered Israel, and they came before Jeremiah, and they said, Lord, Jeremiah, we know you hear from God. Yeah, 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 we've thrown you in a cistern in the pit, wished you were dead all these 30 years, but you tell us what to do, and we'll do it. He said, we're going to go back to Egypt. What does the Lord say? And Jeremiah says, do not go back there, because that represents your spiritual bondage. Never go back to Egypt. And guys, what we have been set free from, we must stop going back to. We have been delivered out of Egypt by the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. We need to stop going back to Egypt in our thinking. We need to stop turning to the old covenant. And there were seven or eight of them in the Old Testament, guys, at minimum. It wasn't just the Israeli covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant. Anything that's not the New Testament covenant, we need to to look at the principles of what that was teaching us about the kingdom of God and bring them before the Lord in light of that we are his righteousness. That is obedience, guys. Obedience transforms our thinking. It transforms, it makes our soul come underneath who we are, which are spirit beings. And what happens is the veil from this realm to the next realm starts getting thinner and thinner and thinner until you begin walking the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in the fiery furnace, speaking face-to-face with Jesus in the midst of being in the furnace. God will always honor obedience. And it releases the kingdom because we come into alignment with his nature. The kingdom flows, and we'll end with this. The kingdom is a river. It's, it's a river of energy. Uh, and, you know, new age, right, is new age. It robs from us the truth, guys to stop being afraid of catchphrases and just hear what someone is saying, right? 
God is energy. Light is energy. Light is frequency. Those that have taken the principles of God's kingdom and began separating and removing Jesus Christ from them are new age or counterfeits, right? So we recognize that's a counterfeit. But God is alive. His kingdom is full of light. Light we know in quantum physics is full of movement. In the kingdom is movement. It's like a river of his nature, which is his love and his goodness. And it's refracted out in all different expressions of his nature. Discipline, correction, joy, peace, love, long-suffering, gifts of the spirit, discernment, prophecy, insight, word of knowledge, healing, miracles. These are all expressions of his river that come from his throne room, which come from his heart. As we begin stepping into agreement with him, we begin stepping first into the shores of that river and then deeper and deeper into the middle of that current. So I want you to understand you're not earning something. You're not earning his favor. We already have it. We step into that which he freely invited us to live in. So that's this evening's topic on obedience, how obedience releases the power of the kingdom, releases setting us free in our thinking, in our minds. It releases the power of healing. It releases the power of miracles. It releases the ability to lay lay hands on the sick. It releases the power of being able to minister the goodness of the gospel to people. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, Whatever Jesus did, we have the right to do the same thing. He told us that. Anything less is not spiritual. Anything less than that is pride, is to contend with God. That's what pride is. So, Dorothy, any uh, any questions, any, any chats or hands raised? No, no questions. All right. Well, I did my best to keep it. We're at 40 minutes, so that's not terrible. Next week, maybe it'll be 35. And uh, you guys will have some questions, as you always do. You're welcome to shoot them out to me. Um, and we can, we can I'll, I'll get back to you. It may take me a little time, but I will always, I always answer every email, even if it takes a little bit of time. So, Dorothy, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to say thank you. I know we moved to this really fast, guys, and please, I invite you to take your time and think upon each one of those um, of those sections of the scriptures of the principles and digest them. The purpose of me shortening these blogs or these, you know, broadcasts is to give us the chance to just sit on it and and hear them more than once or more than twice if we need to. Things take time to sink in, so that's part of the process. So, anyway, God bless. Everyone have a wonderful weekend that's hearing this live or hearing it over the weekend. And I will catch up with you, Lord willing, in two weeks. And, Dorothy, I'll speak to you real soon. Father bless, David. Good night. Thank you, Dorothy. You as well. Always good night. and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. We were hope that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's D-W-M-U-R-R-Y.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly dad loves you deeply. Mm-hmm.